Simon, great to be sitting with you once again as we come to the conclusion of our Simplification Stories mini-series. How are things? Very good, very good. Yeah, Ep- episode five. Who'd have thought it? Uh, it seems to whiz by recording of the the episodes with Steve in episode two, talking about the recruitment transformation and onboarding at uh, Nicer, and then Lisa from Holland and Barrett in episode four, giving us all that insight around building their own software versus buying. So, in between, we've segmented with our own views on simplification to wrap up in episode five today. Indeed, indeed. And just before we do get into it, Simon, I do have to say happy birthday to Rethink Productivity. Ten years old. It's a a magnificent achievement. So uh, a nice way to celebrate as well this week. Yeah, no, thank thank you very much. There's a few a few things coming out over the next month or so for people to watch out for. So, uh, yeah, some uh, one-off branding to mark the event and a few other things that uh, that will be coming out to so keep an eye on our LinkedIn pages but no it, it feels if I reflect for a second not 10 years ago since we started uh, been an amazing journey worked with some great um, companies got some great people working for us met some great people like yourself over that journey and stayed in touch with so hopefully that the next 10 years goes as well if not even better but I, w- I wouldn't change it for the world wouldn't change it for the world. Well, it's awesome. It's uh, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant achievement. And congratulations once again. Thank you. <laughs> so as we do reflect on, on the simplification stories, what have been some of your key takeaways? You know, you, you, you touched on it there. You know, we were talking about Lean in, in the first episode. We we're talking with, uh, with Steve Leach around some of the shifts they've made. Uh, what have been some of your your key takeaways from from perhaps those first couple of episodes? I think that there's some consistent themes around keeping it simple, communicating, senior leadership buy-in. Mm. Uh, sometimes it doesn't have to be rocket science, and I know we kind of talked off air about this a number of times. It it doesn't have to be big and complex. It can be uh, a wide scale change that's maybe simpler or looking at things from a different angle, different perspectives, all that kind of stuff. So simplification in its essence should free up time or create cost-saving opportunity, Mm -hmm. but it it doesn't have to be rocket science. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think for for me, it's changing changing things, right? You know, there's that that classic phrase, the way it's always been done, or this is the way it works around here. And I think simplification is at the very essence of of changing that mindset and saying actually you know what we could do things differently here and i think that's it, it can be scary but it's exciting i mean i think it you know as you look at different people and how different people respond to change there is obviously a huge amount of variability um yeah but personally I, i'm I, I, I feel, <laughs> tell me otherwise, that I'm quite pro-change, uh, you know, readily, readily accepting it and so on. It's certainly, that's, that's what it feels like. I'm not sure what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think, I'm, I think I am good with change, but that doesn't mean when it gets closer or you start to think about the unknowns, you don't you know, get that bit of apprehensive feeling or what if it doesn't work or you can come up with all the negative negative connotations of why you didn't shouldn't do something to almost fulfill the desire not to i uh, i'm probably at my best and most creative thinking about changing helping people with change or talking about it but it doesn't mean it's not scary and sometimes that's the elephant in the room i think of 
people people see other people breeze through change and mm. you know they handle it so well in the personal life and work life and all the other things that they throw over them aren't they amazing but actually i think so those people if they're really honest would say yeah, on the outside you know i'm i'm the old uh swan in water on the outside i'm gliding across but underneath <laughs> i'm pedaling and and it's just the way you deal with it so people's exterior coolness or calmness accepting of that don't underestimate the fact that we all cope with it in a slightly different way and we'll all be feeling some sort of tension nervousness however you want to describe it as we go through that change curve journey definitely and i think you know i've I've certainly seen on a number of projects many many times over where you think it's the simplest change yet actually it's that change management piece that is so important to be able to dispel some of the fear and help people through it, help encourage uh, new routines, new rhythms, new sort of uh, the the new norm, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, I think that change management piece as you look through simplification is, is absolutely huge. And we've touched on it uh, on, on, yeah, through throughout our conversations actually over the last four episodes of, of the podcast and I think it's it's very interesting how much attention is actually paid or not paid to the whole change management piece. And I think Steve and Lisa, as we were talking to them, I think have done a done a done a pretty good job actually, to be honest, in terms of taking people on the journey. You know, whether it's around recruitment, whether it's around you know the the new IT systems and developments that, that Lisa was talking through, for example. I, I, that fills me with optimism, but I think there's a huge amount more that collectively as an industry we can do. The word journey is the bit to pick up on there. Uh, and by definition, that means that people will be in different places at different mm. times. Yeah. So you know, t- typically what, what we want is kind of let's, let's call ourselves retailers is to, to define or to say that we want to change something. So we're going to make this process simpler because we're going to put a new piece of tech in and it takes out 50 button presses, let's say. What we what we really want to happen is for somebody to go around, put all the new tech in, everybody tip up on day one, press all the buttons in the right order, put more customers through or have more time to put stock out, do other things. That That's what we want to happen. Mm. But actually, talking about, generations there might be some generations or people at tech savvy pick up really quickly don't need any training there might be some people that want a training manual there might be some people that want a training video there might be some people that want to be coached through it and have um, an expert that they can go and talk to if they can't get it right but actually what we we all want as change managers and project managers and influencers in in that kind of space is for just everybody to get on with it Mm. which isn't going to get you to where you want. So, yeah, f- for me, that journey is really important to understand. I think everybody will get there, some quicker than others, some in a slightly straighter line than others, some may meander left and right for a quite a long time and then come back. But as long as we're really clear on what the destination is and then uh, we have a, a number of different tools and ways to help those people that want to do it in a slightly different way, I think gets you to the end. I see real challenges when it's forced down a particular route, Yeah. whether that be, you know, everything's going to be done by e-learning. Maybe I have to do that in the pandemic, but the world's open, opening up or everybody's going to do it by train the trainer. Everybody's going to watch this video and then they're tick the box done. I think you've, you've got to understand that whole training needs and 
people's different styles and behaviors or wants and needs to appreciate the fact that they'll get there maybe in a slightly different way but as long as we get there with the right quality and the right output actually we've achieved what we wanted to achieve yeah totally i i always like to think about change management uh taking into account a different perspective so looking at it almost like we look at marketing to consumers you wouldn't expect to put out let's say a social ad and have 100 percent conversion on yeah. it right nor would you put out just one social ad and say this is our entire marketing plan this one advert <laughs> which is going to bring in everything um but instead what you do is you create you know a number of different touch points that are that each each touch point has a different purpose and across a number of different mediums so you know you may have some videos you may have some uh you know tv ads you may have social ads you may have billboards you may have influencers etc etc and it's all there to take a consumer on the journey to get them to visit your store or visit your site and eventually convert them into a customer of course and it's just the same from a a change management perspective. So if you are launching a new simplification or maybe a more radical change as well, by the way, you've got to take people on that same journey, to use the word, that has multiple touch points, that has multiple formats, so that, like you say, you can can appeal to different different mindsets, I guess. Again, not everybody's going to get it right first time. Some may never, not, might not get it right second, third, even fourth time, which is, again, where you need those different layers of um, catching them. So to be able to then say, so we've tried this way, didn't quite work. How is this going to work for you? Um, because it's just not realistic to expect one touch, one stop, one way to work across. You know, we're, we're talking about organizations with, either stores across uh, countries or lots of stores in a country for them to get it right that you know first time one time one shot it just doesn't life doesn't pan out like that let alone implementing simple or even more technical challenging changes in a an environment where you absolutely do get back to your point at the start of the this is how we do it around here or oh, we, we don't actually do it that way here because of x y and z trying to take out that ingrained behavior and change it it is really really difficult however good well thought through whatever it is you're trying to land is that that's the real art in all of this Mm. and i'm intrigued to ask simon you know you you touched on it a couple of minutes ago you know some people don't get it first time second time third time fourth time and there is this feeling that some people will never get the change right that they'll never get fully on the bus What's what's the best approach in that instance? How 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 many times do you try and convert someone before you actually say, actually, no, I'm not going to be able to do this? And then what should you do? What are your thoughts? Everything's a, a conversation. Now, clearly, those conversations can take very different routes. Depending, if you can understand why somebody can't do it, i.e., mm. they've not got the right training, they've not got the right equipment, they've not got the right um, ways of thinking about it then you can educate help inform and come to the right path to help them so actually as i said before you might be trying to say do this by e-learning but that person may not be particularly good on a computer and would like to do it you know in a test environment or a live environment shadowed so that there's means and ways sometimes i think you tend to find 
long service becomes an issue. So people have been there for ages in an organization, seen this before, done that before, didn't work last time we did it, or the time before we did it. So what what's different about this time? Why is it important to them as an individual? Why is it important to the team that they work with on a day-to-day basis? And why is it important to um, the organization as a whole? Maybe they missed a briefing, maybe just the, the way it was briefed just didn't hit the spot with them. So I think there's lots of coaching understanding pieces now clearly we've all not got the time to do that forever so that there does come a point where there's probably some more direct conversations around you know we've tried all these avenues it's not optional you know do you understand how to use it do you understand the process we need to follow yes yes or yes no these here's some remedial training or actually you you've kind of just got to get on with it now Mm. um how can we make that easiest for you? Because people will resist change for a number of reasons they know and probably for a number of reasons they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Some Sometimes the a kind of short and quick um, change is helpful for some people, almost take away the ability to do what they did in the past, to so force the process. Sometimes that's that's not always practical. Uh, sometimes, yeah, if, it, if it's optional to revert back, people will revert back to type. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think, obviously, it depends on, on what the change is. If it's a, yeah. a safety-based change, then compliance suddenly becomes a lot more important than if it's I don't know, perhaps a, a, a particular way of addressing a customer at a checkout or a, a proposition to make at a checkout, for example. And I think having, having ways to feedback, you know, um, challenges to the new ways of working or even uh, tweaks or updates to make it even better is helpful. So again, people with long heritage in organizations will have seen something similar or Mm. what they feel to be similar before if their voice is heard again sometimes that can take away the frustration well last time we did this after six months it didn't really work because Mm. of doesn't mean it's going to change but actually if you acknowledge you've heard it and go back and say yes and thank you for that these are the things we've got in place or thanks for that but actually it doesn't change anything you don't necessarily need to act on it but people feel like they've been heard and therefore hopefully you know, those negative connotations go away or they get to the point of, well, I've told them, I just need to get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I've got it, got it off the chest, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's a, a very nice uh, segue, by the way, thank you, uh, to, to reflect on then the, the, the next couple of episodes that we did. So episode three and episode four, where, where we, of course, we had, we had Lisa on talking about some of the, the, the fab work that she's leading at Holland and Barrett. And I, I think, you know, in, in episode three, we were talking about people having good intentions and it's that same piece, right? In change management, there is a reason why someone is rejecting or, or, or not accepting, I should say, the change. And it's a question, how do I find out what, what that reason is? Because again, I, I'll go in, my, my going in position is people are not doing it just for the sake of being difficult, right? They have a genuine concern. It's not that it's like, no, I just don't want to. Um, sort of <laughs> surly, surly teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, get, it's getting, it's finding a way to unearth that uneasiness or resistance that makes them feel comfortable. And again, as I said, pe- people will do that different ways. And, and some people might not even know. It's just um, 
the overwhelming fear of doing something different kind of cripples them from doing it. Mm. Yep. And it, again, it sort of as as we were talking about in the in the third of our episodes, we had that list right of of key ways to help stay with the the volatile retail market. Those uh, those five items on the list were around being agile, being flexible, taking pivots, being trial ready, and and building building momentum as well, which again helps with that whole change piece. And I think we touched on it with Steve, and certainly we touched on it in episode episode three. So I think yeah, it's it's a, a great reflection. Yeah, and for me, the that momentum piece is kind of the center of a lot of that because if you're building momentum with simplification and change actually people become more comfortable with it because they've been through the cycle of doing things different they've seen the you know the world doesn't fall apart at the end that actually (laughs) hopefully a lot of it makes their life simpler in terms of operationally and and better for customers or frees up time i think the, the kind of one thing we've probably not talked about too much is return on investment so Again, lots of simplification projects will be designed in a way to either extract money out of the the wage budget, the labor cost for that organization, or to uh, push back time into drive service and therefore sales and, and build mm-hmm. revenue. So, And some may be a mixture of both. I think that the real challenging ones are where maybe a project is what I'd call hygiene factor or foundational. Mm-hmm. So it, it's something that that the business should do because it will make it a better place for the future. Maybe that's for colleagues, customers, or to build other projects on top of. So we we need this to be able to do X, Y, and Z projects in the future. Very few businesses can pallet that cost, if that makes sense. So very few businesses will do something and say, there's no ROI on this. It's just the right thing to do. Uh, So finding that balance of those, what I call foundational projects and the, cash saving or the sales increase that's on the back of it is probably the trickiest place to be in all of this yes. because everybody knows it's the right thing to do, but somebody's got to pay for it. Yeah. I, I can think of certainly some projects that I've worked on in the past where it's absolutely the right thing, but that, that ROI, that sort of tangible benefit that builds a solid business case is the most challenging element. And it's, you know, it's, 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 challenging because you can't do you can't do the maths right you can't make one plus one equals two and get that roi but that then gets in the way of everything else you know it means that you get prioritized down the the agenda in a lower way it means that it's it's a struggle to justify each and every stage of of pursuing that particular simplification project and i think equally on the flip side I think that simplification projects do have a lot of opportunity for for proving the ROI actually because it's you know a simplification is not a, a total rewrite so you know a lot about the situation already you know a lot about the status quo and it's you can see the measures that you want to be dialing up or down rather than a, a more fundamental transformation where perhaps you're wading into the unknown a lot more and you just don't know what what those sort of numbers, what that performance is going to be like. So I think it, it kind of swings and roundabouts on the on the ROI piece for me personally. 
I agree. It's a, it's a difficult, difficult place to be when you're kind of backward engineering a, a business case to give the ROI when everybody kind of knows it's the, it's the right thing to do, but maybe doesn't doesn't drive that level at this point or sets us up for kind of future success. And I'm sure we can all reflect on examples where we've perhaps been uh, involved in a, a reverse engineering challenge, whether we whether we thought it was right or not. Um, probably probably not. Uh, where it can drive the wrong behaviors, right? It can it can drive you to you know, round round numbers up, <laughs> make yep. some dodgy assumptions, not then thinking from a change management perspective about all the good things that do need to happen to be able to get the real change through and delivered. Because, you know, if you're talking spreadsheets and ROI and stuff like that, it's easy to put down a million quid or 10 million quid or, you know, put in a, put in a number for whatever benefit you're, you happen to be driving. But if it's not delivered, if it's not realized because you haven't done the change effectively, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference. It's just a number on a spreadsheet, but, you know, a quadrillion, quadrillion quid benefit. Woo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's also interesting, you know, again, reflecting on the conversation with Lisa where we were talking a lot about build versus buy. I think that's a, an interesting one because – it's a, it's a very different investment um, outlook, I, sh- I should say, between the build versus buy. One one is obviously you know perfectly tailored, and you can really tinker it and tailor it, but it costs a lot more upfront, but perhaps cheaper to run in the, in the long term, and more opportunity to again continue to optimize in the long term. Versus you know you get it right off the shelf, you adjust your processes and your business to squeeze into that i think it's uh, an interesting discussion that that lisa must have had at, at holland and barrett for sure yeah and i think it's one of those where time will tell so what what does it look like in 12 18 24 months time because there's i can see the the beauty of wanting to go and just pick something off the shelf and use it i can also see the attraction of changing the the color of a button overnight or the position of a button or the name of a button without mm. needing to go through an expensive external change control process and then testing and QA with a a third party that, you know, will will bill you by the day out, whatever that mm. metric might be. So I can I can see the benefits of both. I can see there's probably pitfalls in in both approaches. Certainly the market seems to be more buying expert software off the shelf and implementing rather than build your own. Mm-hmm. but time will time will tell time will tell say so i'm i'm kind of on the fence on this one because i can see the pros and cons of both so i'm not not really sure what side i sit on yeah absolutely i, I think that's a yeah a very interesting interesting perspective to to to, to, to well it's essentially it's about forging the future of the company right so i think it is a, an interesting decision point for for everyone to be considering about what's right for them and what makes them unique? What what makes them stand out in the marketplace? And then, and then for a final little pivot, I wanted to talk or touch on in innovation because innovation is a huge piece for simplification. Because you know it's arguably the the complete opposite of the way it's always been done, right? And I think it, it, innovation 
really depends on someone being open and impartial and looking at the way things work, the status quo, and and being brave enough to say, hang on a second, I think there's a better way of doing this. And I think where we are at at the moment, you know, just emerging from the pandemic, we are needing so many people to be really, truly, honestly and impartially and bravely looking at operating models and at business propositions and at ways of working and at processes and all of the different parts and saying, is this the best way? Is it right? And if it's not the best way or there is opportunity, what, which one should we go after first? I think that's a huge opportunity for, for, well, for all businesses going forward. Yep. External perspective is a good thing in that, I think as well, because sometimes in organizations you only, you only know what you only know or That's can only see what you can only yeah. see. Um, but, you know, don't get me wrong, lots of organisations now have people that have come in there that have worked in different organisations in that field or outside of that field. But again, they'll only see what they can see. Can you benchmark it? Where's the real challenge? And I think I, I increasingly see, I think there's an advert on the telly that talks about if you, th- if you think big, think bigger, people fixing a problem. But then you have a conversation with them and you kind of say, that's really good amazing that'll fix the problem but actually if we step back and just look above what you're trying to fix there's something even bigger to fix here that almost means what you're trying to fix will go away as a a consequence of that yep so sometimes it's again stepping back really difficult again in a certainly a fast-paced retail environment to get that breathing space time sometimes money for an external perspective but all it takes is some of those conversations or data points or bits of insight or bits of benchmarking to say, yeah, you're going to spend a lot of time and money fixing this, but there's a bigger prize at play, which will sort that anyway. So why don't we, why don't we have a look at that and see how that could work? Very, very true. And I think it's also an interesting challenge as you start to think about, you know, the, well, actually we could do this bigger piece and this bigger piece and suddenly where do you draw the line? Right. Because yeah, you can't say, right, we're going to, well, maybe, maybe you can't, depend, depends on your business and the situation you specifically find yourself in. You can't say everything is up for, up for, up for change because it, it will likely swallow you whole if you don't have anything that is out of the scope, should we say. Yeah. Um, so it's knowing where is the best, the optimal, the most rewarding point to draw that line to, to take, you know, your simplification and drive it through, drive it home. Is it a simplification or is it actually an evolution or is it a, a fundamental shift? It's, uh, yeah, a huge, huge decision to make, but an important decision to make because if you don't decide, you either do nothing, which doesn't help anyone, or you're going to try and do everything, which means it's it's bound for failure, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, and I, th- I think for me, there's the kind of couple of, couple of obvious places so where you know if we take a retail organization where do you spend most of your labor money typically it'll be in stock stock tills and management are the probably the three key ones for most retailers so that that should give you some clues of where potentially the biggest reward is or the biggest benefit to go after um clearly customer plays a part so what are your customers telling you where what is their behavior doing or how's it changing or how do you want to force that behavioural change in a controlled way? And a good example of that will be uh, self-checkouts. So I think we'll see a big move towards 
less man checkouts in the future in lots of stores, certainly in discount retail and, and mm. fast moving, and more uh, self-checkout. Clearly, there's a cost benefit. Clearly, there's a throughput benefit, as in it's the customer's time scanning it, not yours. Um, but you'll always need some man checkouts. But does that checkout need to be static? Could it be mobile? Could it be on an iPad? Mm. You know, questions about how you take cash and card and all those kind of things. But that, for me, is how you almost gradually, gently force the customer behavior. You know, 10 years ago, we didn't self-scan. We didn't shop with an app. We didn't shop on pretty much many self-checkouts. Now it's just the norm. Mm. And if if you think back, I think back, no one ever taught me how to use a self-checkout. They became easier. Some frustrated. <laughs> some have voices that annoy me. Some don't scan very well. Have you? There you go. Some some way, some don't way, some you put it down and it tells you to pick it up and you want to throw it through the window. But but ultimately it's a bit like your iPhone, isn't it? Or your Android phone. You get it out of the box, you turn it on, you don't need a manual. So customer behaviors evolve that way without much education. There's a lot less people manning self checkouts in retailers these days than there were five, ten years ago. Yeah. And I think that you know, as as we as we wrap up our, our conversation here, I think that's a, a brilliant way of thinking about simplification, actually, because a, a true simplification and a true change is done in such a way that it's easier to do the right thing than it is to do the wrong thing. And I think if it's designed in in the right way and it's focusing on the right challenges and the right problems, then that is going to be a much more of a natural shift. To, 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 to ease consumers through, to ease your colleagues through, to ease the wider business through, it's going to be much more natural, much more successful. And then actually, it's going to be a lot more enjoyable for everyone as well, which I think is important too. Yeah, absolutely. Path, path of least resistant normally uh, normally rings true in most, most projects, doesn't it, once you start to get into the detail? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, listen, Simon, this has been a wonderful series with you. I've really enjoyed all of our our five episodes diving into simplification and simplification stories. And yeah, I just want to say thank you very much for for joining me on this this journey and, and exploring and sharing so much insight. Thank you. No, it's been wonderful to catch up on the episode one, three, and this one, five to close out. And then clearly Steve and Lisa joined us in episodes two and four respectively. So some, some great stories. I think there's probably lots more to touch on potentially in a, a series two, but um, we'll have to, have to let the listeners wait and see if that materializes. But no, it's been a pleasure to catch up as always. Hopefully those that have listened to, uh, you know, all five episodes have got something out of it. It's provoked some thought, some ways of thinking differently or spark some, things to go away and look at look at in their organizations because that that's the true power of these kind of conversations is provoking thought and driving some action from it definitely couldn't put it better myself that's 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 brilliant great well thank you so much simon and i look forward to catching up with you very very soon brilliant thanks ollie take care speak to you soon